Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revelle. Well, we've got a great show lined up this week, Dennis Newland, for you. We've got Max Frick, the Australian solo champion. We've got Matty Pascoe, who is, of course, a super sedan legend in this country. And also speak to Sean Dyson, who has got uh, one of the biggest stars in Sprint Car in Casa Macedo and just had Kyle Larson here for the Premier Cup. Well, the Kings got rained out, of course, but then over to the Grand Annual. So... That's really where we need to start this show, uh, Dennis Newland, at the Grand Annual yep. down there at Warrnambool. Yes, yeah, certainly looking forward to talking with our guests a little bit later on in the program. And, and yes, uh, it's a big weekend coming up to the Australian Sprint Car Championship at the Pro Speedway in Tasmania. Last weekend, of course, the 48th running of the South West Conveyance in Grand Annual Sprint Car, Sprint Car Classic at Premier Speedway in Warrnambool. A great win to James McFadden, runner-up Jamie Veal and third place Terry Madsen. A tremendous race, plenty of action over the period of the running of the Classic. Plenty of action off the track as well. <laughs> but uh, some, some great racing, a great win to James McFadden. Now, Marcus Dumsney had a win on night two. And yes. I believe uh, Glenn at P1 Australia was telling me that Max Dumsney actually got uh, life membership of the... Uh, of the, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the Warner Bull Speedway Club, um, yep. which of course is the owner of Premier Speedway. Uh, and on Sunday night, he was honoured with that uh, with that life membership. Yeah, yeah, the Premier Speedway Club. That's right. Look, one of the greatest advertisements to come out of Warner Bull. We know his history. We know how he started off uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, in Formula 500, won two Australian titles, then moved into sprint cars. And, of course, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, a great champion out of Warrnambool and, and a great honour. And, and a great honour, too, for the Dumsney family because night two, Marcus Dumsney, 20 years of age, uh, one of his sons took out the main event from Kerry Madsen and the American Gloria Eliasson. Um, a, a great weekend for the Dumsney family, Craig, very true. And for, of course, the winner and the Monty Motorsport teams, James McFadden, getting his second win in the Grand Annual, which really elevates you to uh, the next level in this country. And I'm perhaps a, a bit biased in thinking the Grand Annual is bigger than the national title, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, because it is an open affair. You can be from anywhere in the world and run at the Classic. Well, this is always an interesting conversation, isn't it, uh, uh, as you say, an international event opposed to a uh, Australian title for for closed participants uh, as only Australian New Zealand drivers. Um, very interesting topic. Um, just another thing too: um, the the general feeling overall with the with the classic this year, it's getting bigger and bigger each each year. Craig, I mean, this is the forty eighth running. And how it all started back in the early 70s to what it is, a lockout crowd again by 2 o'clock on the final day, or virtually all weekend for that matter. I mean, it's an outstanding success, this Grand Annual uh, Classic. 
It is indeed. And, uh, well, I guess it's a bit like the uh, Australian Speedcar Grand Prix and those years when the Speedcar title was um, part of the Grand Prix. You won the Grand Prix, you won the national title. And then, of course, it split and we had the closed Speedcar title and the open Grand Prix. Of course, now uh, down at Warrnambool, in a couple of weeks' time, in a month's time, we will see the speed cars for their national title. And in fact, we're going to catch up and speak to uh, the promoter down there at Warrnambool at Premier Speedway ahead uh, of the title in a couple of weeks' time. But yeah, af- looking forward to that. Yeah, after the break, we'll be back with Max Freak. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine. On sale now. Well, it's a great pleasure to have on the show not only a two-time Australian Speedway champion, but also a man who's qualified for the Speedway Grand Prix in 2020, Max Frick. What a great way to start 2020, picking up your second consecutive Australian solo championship. Yeah, it's been a great start to the year. Um, You know, I'm, I'm back in Australia now having a little bit of time off in the middle of my off season, but it's always good fun to be able to get back out and sit my bike and, and uh, you know, do a few races in Australia, including the Australian title. As you sit looking at your calendar for the year, for people who don't understand just how much work you guys do do, how many races are you going to have across the upcoming, you know, European summer? Um, I'll have pretty well close to um, 70 meetings throughout the year. Um, just just in the speedway season whilst I'm overseas, so that's not including anything here in Australia. So, um, plus we have a lot of days testing. Um, so I'll be on the bike pretty well, uh, probably four times a week, I reckon. It's an incredible amount of time that you're racing, and is it a case when you do do the testing that you're trying new things to ride better, or is it about the performance of the bike? Um, it's fifty-fifty. Obviously, um, you know, I need to put just as much work into myself as as the bike. Um, but a lot of the time, we are testing you know, different parts, engines, uh, you know, anything we can find to to try and um, get a little bit of an advantage. Max, so I think probably uh, this season not only being the most important in your career, but uh, how tough was it to make the call to decide? not to ride for the Bellevue Aces in the British League this year? Yeah, it's a tough one because, uh, you know, I've been at Bellevue for a long time now. Um, They've been my only uh, Premiership League club in the UK. So I've been there for five years and, uh, you know, I have a lot of good contacts there and, and, uh, you know, in the past I've lived near there. Um, So it is a bit of a change up for this year. But uh, at the same time, you know, Bellevue does require the most amount of my time. Um, so, uh, so I'm going to cut that back a little bit, uh, and not race in the UK this year. And that'll give me a little bit more time in Poland and Sweden where, uh, my main workshop is based, um, which will be a lot easier for, for testing, uh, and racing throughout the season. Um, Max, the, the, the point of all this is, um, you come back to Australia and it's been a great tradition of Australian speedway riders over decades. Uh, they they do the European, the British season, come back and do some meetings in Australia. How well does that prepare, prepare you 
for the upcoming season in England, or well, not in your case, but in normally uh, in the Northern Hemisphere? Yeah, well, it's um, you know we're quite lucky because everyone abroad um, this time of year it's, it's obviously freezing and, and the weather's not so good. So um, for the seaway season, it's at a, at a standstill over there, and uh, no one really gets a ride. So. Uh, it's a great time for us to kind of capitalise on that and, and get a little bit more time on the bike and, uh, you know, also just have a bit of fun riding. It, it's quite relaxed here in Australia when we come back and race in, you know, in comparison to what we do abroad. So, uh, you know, it brings a little bit of fun back to it and, uh, you know, we can relax and, and uh, catch up with a few familiar faces and, and have a bit of fun and, and put on a show out here. Hello, Max. Sorry. Hi. Yeah, sorry. As... Going into the first full-time season of the Speedway Grand Prix, how how important do you think having those four or five events as a replacement rider last year going to be to being able to uh, go straight in there with, you know, uh, being right on the pace and understanding what it's all about? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I was quite fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to do that this year. And... Um, you know, I know that I can go in there now and uh, I know what it's about. I know the structure of the events and the intensity of it. So, um, you know, I, I and uh, even just little things coming down to the setup of my own team and, and things like that, what I'm going to need and what I don't need, um, you know, it really gives me a much better idea of, of what I'm going into. So um, they've been really helpful this year, especially even, you know, you know, at the start, when I did my first couple, um, you know, I was just testing the waters a little bit, but after a couple of Grand Prix, I was really able to get amongst it and, and uh, you know, uh, race those guys and, and um, understand how the meetings really work. For people in Australia who don't quite understand how racing in Europe works, are you going to be using mechanics in each country where you are racing or are you going to be travelling with your mechanic and setting up each each time you arrive in country? Um, normally in the past I've had uh, I've had mechanics in each country uh, but this year I'm going for a little bit of a different approach. Um, you know, I have three guys working for me full time and uh, you know, between those three guys there'll be someone with me everywhere I go. Um so for all those Grand Prix, they'll be there um, and two of them each week will be with me in Sweden and they'll all be with me each week in Poland. So that way I'm with the same same people all the time. Um, they understand me. Uh, you know, the more time they spend with me, they understand me as well as, um, you know, we can just kind of work together and know how, how uh, you know, we like everything set up and it'll be, everything will be exactly the same every time. So uh, I think we'll have a good setup for this year. Um, you know, they'll drive from Poland to Sweden every week uh, and I'll fly up and uh, and same thing, I'll return back on the plane to Poland um, and then for Grand Prix, I'll probably travel with them um, for the closer ones and then the ones that are a little bit further away, I'll fly. Max, how many um, bikes do you have? What's your, what's your inventory spare, engines, bikes, spares for spares? to go this season as intense as it will be with the Grand Prix with Poland and Sweden? Um, basically, for, the, for just this season alone, I'll have five bikes um, and uh, enough spares to, to be able to build up probably another three. Um, 
and uh, I'll have 12 engines throughout the season um, and uh, they'll kind of all get turned over a little bit. Obviously, there'll be certain engines that I prefer to use, um, so they'll get a little bit more use than others. Um, but, uh, you know, I have a fair bit of equipment and that's just for myself for the season. Um, so, uh, you know, throughout it all, they'll all get a bit of a turn and then I'll ride them all at different stages. Um, and, you know, some weeks I'm, I'm quite busy and, uh, you know, won't be able to use the same stuff in Poland and Sweden and the Grand Prix. So, um, I'll have a couple of bikes sent to the Grand Prix and, and, uh, you know, two other bikes will be sent somewhere else for, uh, for a meeting somewhere else. When you made your uh, entry onto the Grand Prix scene, um, you, you, you really clicked pretty well straight away. Uh, and, and it's been known in the past history of the Speedway Grand Prix, not every rider who gets his opportunity uh, meets that standard or meets that level. So what do you put it down to? I mean, you, you just seem to click straight away in that top level of international competition. What do you put that down to? Yeah, it's hard to say. You know, I have, I have a really good setup, uh, base setup anyway. Um, so basically to go into the Grand Prix, it wasn't a huge change for me. Um, and, you know, and in the past I've had, you know, good success individually with under 21 world championships and, um, stuff like that. And our league racing that we do weekly, um, I'm racing all the same guys that are racing the Grand Prix, um, you know, weekly. So it's just a matter of the, every race, there's, there's no easy races. You've got good guys in every heat. So. Um, if I can turn up with a, a good setup and a good mindset, um, and the confidence that I know I can go there and do well, um, as long as I'm, I'm happy with the equipment I'm on and, and all that kind of thing, uh, if I'm in a good place, I think you know I can turn up and do really well. From you know, I can just quickly add that. Sorry, Craig, I just want to jump in here. There's one point you just made, Max, which I think has been a good stepping stone for a lot of Grand Prix riders. Your success. World Under-21 International Level, the championship. What does that role play in the overall big picture? You know, I think it's racing as a junior, um, you know, at any stage, whether, you know, your first junior Australian championship when you're 12 years old or, um, you know, World Under-21 championship, they're all just stepping stones to to what to the Grand Prix, really. Um, and, and that's the, the main goal for everyone at the end of the day, you know, uh, individual success is great at any level, um, but in the big scheme of things, you know, we all want to be world champion at uh, at the open level because that's you know that's the, the pinnacle really. So um, you know, they're all good stepping stones, and, and uh, I can hopefully I've learned from all those little steps along the way, and and uh, I can make the most of that and use them in the Speedway Grand Prix this year, and hopefully you know in the future. Max, what I've been fascinated in from afar. It looks like the the Australian riders are a, a great fraternity. You all seem to get around each other, whether it be in England or whether it be on the world stage. Everyone seems to be helping each other and working with each other, which I don't always get the feeling. I get the feeling that the Europeans, because they're in their their home area, perhaps are a bit more cutthroat with each other. Am I reading too much into it, or is that this, is that your feeling as well? Um, you can understand that. You know, we all have, uh, we spend a lot of time with each other as Australians or just riders in general, traveling around, you know, to airports. We're all traveling to the same countries on the same days. So um, we do spend a lot of time together with the whole field, you know, whether it be 
you know, Australians or Polish people or you know, Swedish, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I guess for the Australians, you know, we don't go home. So the people we know at the track, they basically are our friends. Um, you know, especially when you've left home, you've gone over there um, outside of Speedway. We probably don't really have a huge amount of friends, um, you know, because we're there racing the majority of days of the week and then we'll turn around and, and come back to Australia at the end of the season. Um, where I guess for the other people, um, you know, the other riders, the foreigners, they, they um, you know, they, they go to the track, they race, they're very single-minded maybe. Um, you're there, they're, they're there to do a job and then they can go home and, and they still, you know, have all the people they've grown up with, friends, family, stuff like that that they can socialise with. So maybe they don't really need to, you know, feel um, the need to, um, you know, socialise as much at the track as maybe some of the Aussies do. But we all do get on really well, um, which is great. Um, we've all grown up together, raced together as juniors. Um, and, you know, even some of us have looked up to other riders that are in, the, you know, in Europe and have a, of an older age group. Um and now we're racing together, and that's really cool as well. So um, the Australians, we all have a really good respect for each other, and uh, you know, appreciate what which what each of us have done uh, in our careers. And uh, you know, it, it's you know good fun when we can turn up to a track and there's another Australian rider there and, and have a bit of a chat or um, travel together. It, it's uh, it's good fun. Yeah, it is a huge amount of sacrifice, isn't it? But finally, Max, uh, we need to ramp this up, but have you chosen your number for this year's Speedway competition? Yeah, I'm number 46 again, same as I've been the last few years. Well, I know everyone's going to be getting behind yourself, Doily, as this year's Speedway Grand Prix season kicks off and it's going to be a very exciting one, that's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be really good. So hopefully I can get in some good results and, you know, um, be running back here in Australia, someone to cheer for back. You speak very well. Uh, you, you, you handle the media. I guess um, this is a fair uh, endorsement for you and your people and your, your sponsors. Um, you, you, you do uh, come across very well, very media savvy, and, and that's a great uh, credit to you too, Max. Ah, thanks very much for that. Um yeah, you know, I guess over the years we've um, you know dealt with plenty of media and and uh, and stuff like that, and I think you know it's a big part of what we do. So um, thanks. For that. Well, thanks very much for your time, Max Frick. Have a fantastic trip back and a, a wonderful European summer. Cheers. Thank you. And well, I'll, uh, hopefully I'll catch you guys soon. Yep. Thanks, Max. Thank you. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine. On sale now. Well, joining us on the line after a, a very successful rundown on the Apple Isle is Matt Pascoe. Congratulations. Uh, whilst the rain affected a few weekends, you were able to take the victories when they counted. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, the first weekend we got away to a good start. And, yeah, we ended up winning the pre final the first night and then uh, ended up getting the win the second night. And then, yeah, we got rained out at Carrick, which is unfortunate. And then Hobart, yeah, we uh, had some good heat runs with everyone. And then it won the pre-final and the pole shuffle and the feature. So we had a real good weekend. You have been around the scene for so long now. How do you find this stretch down there in Tassie? Is it is it one of the highlights of your year? Yeah, yeah I reckon. Um We've done it before. We've won both, but um, yeah, 
this year there was a uh, good car count. Uh, they're up to 31 this year, and next year with the Australian title, there's already like another 15 guys that I've talked to that will be going down the next year. So we should have like over 40, maybe 45, even maybe might make 50, but because yeah, we've got three weekends in a row next year, so next year will be huge. Matt, uh, your, your whole racing life concentrates around sedan racing, obviously, not only on the track, but you do run a very successful uh, chassis company as well. And um, I guess this gives you a pretty good insight into the technical side of super sedan racing, uh, late model sedan racing, how you all blend it together. Um, well, we, yeah, this year we end up building eight brand new cars, our brand new supers this year, and, um, and I suppose it does probably give me a little advantage because I get to drive the car and then sit in the car up as well, and yeah, and building them all and knowing what the cars got in them uh, probably does help a lot. Um, Matt, how did you get involved with the chassis company? Um, I mean, how long have you been racing for, and how long how how did you get involved in the the chassis company construction? Um, I knew I knew all Van Botcher. My uncle used to race for him, and um, when I was I started as a boilermaker, and then I used to go down and help them at night time, uh, working on their cars just after hours. And then and then one time there, Ian asked if we if we or if, if he wanted to start building cars, and he reckoned he asked if I wanted to start doing it, and um, and then so we started up the the Dominator chassis down there. And then, and then uh, everything led from there. I suppose that was in '99. And then, um, and then I, I always wanted to race. I was racing modified production before that. And then, um, yeah, I ended up having a couple runs for Ian in the Rotary and in the V8 as well. And then, um, and then ended up starting up my own business. And yeah, it's gone from there. So we've been going since 2007 with our with uh, sweet chassis and. I think we've had seven Australian title wins out of those 11 years, I think. So it's been pretty cool. And you had a sweet chassis 1-2 down there at Solo Speedway in Hobart. Yeah, yeah, that was even better with Mick Nicole. He's got one of our cars now, so um, yeah, he's really happy with it. And uh, We might have a couple more cars sold after last weekend as well, so yeah, off-season could be another busy one again. And... The Super Sedans, the category is going gangbusters at the moment. Plenty of cars at most of uh, the big events across the country. Yeah, yeah I reckon it's yeah, we're on uh, stepping up again. Um, it's just, yeah, I think all, all the classes have their highs and lows. And, and I suppose with the financial side of, of stuff as well, sort of um, puts a damper on all the classes. So, but yeah, everything seems to be going good for us. So hopefully it continues. Speaking of classes, Matt, uh, what's your take on how some people call it? I mean, I don't necessarily agree with this. Super sedans versus late models. What's your take on that? Uh, yeah, they always compare us, I suppose. But, um, uh, just stick them with this class. This is one I want to support and, and, and continue to carry on with. So uh, if people choose to drive both classes, that's, that's their choice. But um, I think would have been better if there was just one class here, I suppose. But, um, yeah, if I, if I got the opportunity to go and race in America in a late model or a dirt, um, be a dirt modified or something like that, I'd, yeah, I'd take the chance. But um, just over here, I'm, I'm 
bought my class because that's the one I, I built cars for, so I'm not going to try and kill me out in business. <laughs> no, no, exactly right. And, of course, you're a racer through and through, Matt, so I suppose if the opportunity ever did present itself to race yeah. a, a late model in America, you'd certainly do it. Um, Matt, I just want to ask you, the, the, the question you touched on about the car count a while ago when we were talking about Tasmania. Now, it, it is a fact, uh, not that many years ago, the super sedans, in some of their major races and just in general, uh, the car counts diminished a little. And, of course, the Super Sedan series was very, very good, and, and that ultimately did not continue. Now, that would have been a bit of a blow to progress, but how is it responding now, the category, and what do you see in its future? Um, you know, uh, I think it's just come down to people that were running the National Series, like, were stepping out, and there was no one there can to continue it, I suppose. And then, um, yeah, numbers probably died a little bit uh, when the late models sort of were trying to kick off. But, um, yeah, this year uh, I was talking to Guy Thompson uh, last night and Latrobe Speedway, pretty much that was its biggest taken, like crowd-wise. Um, and Hobart was, was its biggest um, last night. Or, yeah, last night was the biggest event they've ever had at Hobart with crowd-wise. So it's looking good for us, I suppose, in that way. It certainly is. When are you back on the track, Matt? Um, we're heading home now, and we, um, we'll be getting the motor freshened up a bit, so we'll miss the round at the Bundaberg for the Queensland Series, um, and then we'll be back down to the SA title at Mount Gambier, and then we're across to uh, Murray Bridge the week after for the JD Memorial, and then the weekend after is the Australian title, and then the weekend after that's uh, the Victorian title at uh, Hamilton. And then we're heading back all the way up to Rocky the week after that. So it's five weekends in a row. A fair bit of a miles bit of in that one. Yeah. So. Well, and then we, uh, after, we've only got a week off after all that, and we head back down to the New South Wales title at Goulburn, then across to Moama for the uh, five grand win over there, and then back to Leeton as well. Going to give Leeton a go. That was on my bucket list, so yeah, we'll go and try that track out for the first time. So how many uh, race meetings this season, Matt? That sounds a pretty, very, well, very busy schedule. How many total race meetings in this season? Um, well, so far we've had 13 features and we've won 11 of them. And there's, we've been, yeah, we've got nine race meetings in the next 10 weeks when, once we start up in February 22, I think, for Mount Gambia. Um, and then we've got a couple more after that at home as well, Dad's race as well in May the 16th. I remember from the days at Speedway Racing News when we ran the magazine, we, we did some feature stories on you and your great mate, Darren Kane. There's obviously a, a very good friendship there and tremendous yeah. respect for one another. But, but I've seen you guys race defender, not giving each other an inch and absolutely leaning on each other. Does it ever get a little bit like, oh, geez, you cut me off in the corner, do you, or do you just leave it all on the track and you have a beer after the races? and? <laughs> You know, you're a good mate. You're a good mate. But how do you, you know, you're out there to beat each other as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're always out there to beat them. But um, uh, if, if there is a little rub or whatever, it's normally like a they've hit a hole or or a, you know just by accident. It's not not deliberate. Like he doesn't just run into you for no reason, or he's not going to take you wide or anything like that. And um, yeah, I I respect him and reverse the roles there as well. So. Um, 
down in Tassie there, like everyone was having a good time. So there was no arguments with everyone. But all the all the drivers are all getting together. It's it's yeah, looking pretty good this year with how everyone's getting together. Like you haven't got the little groups and where everyone's hating each other. Like yeah, you know, how it gets at certain stages. But yeah, it's, it's really good at the moment. Matt, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. All the best as you head towards the national title a little bit later on next month. Yep. All right. Thanks. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics magazine on sale now. Well, it's great on Inside Speedway to be joined by the, well, the owner-manager of Dyson Motorsport, and that is Sean Dyson. Sean, it's been a few years since you've been in the car, but one thing you've managed to do since you got out of it is put in some remarkably talented drivers. Yeah, definitely been lucky enough to work with some really, uh, really great drivers and, and good people. Uh, so, uh, yeah, very lucky. You have, you know, have you had that inkling when you see the car getting into victory lane or so often now? Have you been keen to perhaps jump back in it and give it a whirl yourself? Yeah, we're definitely, definitely um, planning on possibly getting back in later on this year. Um, you know, just some club shows, nothing crazy. Um, it's something that I do enjoy. Um, but, I, you know, I, I really enjoy crew chiefing the car just as much. Um, but if I can spend some time in the, in the seat myself, I, I, uh, I'll definitely try to do that later on this year. Sean, uh, I must say that uh, your race team is one of the most professional that I've, I've ever seen. Uh, you have cars that are absolute rocket ships on wheels. <laughs> That's the best way to describe them. What kind of inventory do you have? What sort of motors, uh, spares for spares? Can you just give the listeners a bit of a rundown on your stock inventory and how many chassis cars you've got? Yeah, I guess it comes down to, you know, great suppliers of parts and, and equipment. You know, any one time we'll have, you know, four KPC, new KPC chassis, um, full rollers uh, sitting in the shop. Um, three KRE racing things, um, you know, three of them sitting in the trailer, uh, which, you know, Kenny Mack, you know, what a guy, one of, one of the nicest guys and capable guys in the sport. Um, as for the midget, um, you know, we've got two, uh, two chassis, two king chassis by Justin Indley out of, out of New Zealand, which, you know, has to be one of the, uh, the hottest midget chassis builders on the, on the planet at the moment with, um, I, I truly believe the best in the business in the Speedway Toyota um, midget engines. That that thing is a rocket ship. I guess, um, Sean, the, the one thing that impressed me with you, your driver car from the Cedar, the manner in which the GT challenge, he took the challenge and started from the back of the field in a most impressive, entertaining performance coming through from the back, the back mark, the extreme back mark, like days of old. Now, he came within point zero nine four seconds of winning the 25-lap main event in, in what was a classic drive. I mean, he nearly got to the line and, and tipped the winner, Michael Stewart, on the line. Now, I know I go back a long way here, Sean, but uh, there was an American speed car driver back in the 60s who came to the Australia, and particularly at the Sydney Showground where I watched him. Uh, his name was Bob Tattersall. And he would always win from the back mark of 22-car field. Now, this took me back when I saw Carson doing this great job. Uh, I mean, it was entertainment plus. You must have been very proud of him on the night. Yeah, no, for sure, 100%. And, you know, anyone who knows Carson knows that he is the most competitive person in the world. Uh, me and him 
it's funny, we, we're best mates, but we fight like cats and dogs just playing like, you know, backyard cricket on Christmas Day or whether we're racing go-karts, you know, with a little speedway track at home when we race go-karts on. And um, no matter what we do, he, he is so competitive. And that shows in his driving style. Uh, I had no doubt that he could get to the front in that in that race, whether it went from green to checker or, or whatever it was. Uh, he's got the, the never say no, never die, never die attitude, and he'll leave nothing on the table. And I think that's truthfully why he's so exciting to watch. And he has such a large fan base and a growing fan base. Um, the guy, he has one thing in his mind when he hops in that race car, and that's just to get to the front as quick as he can. Can I ask you how that relationship with Carson came about? Yeah, just, you know, I was over in California um, the year after we won the Classic, uh, walking around a weekly show at Placerville Speedway, um, and Carson was there crewing on a car, one of his best mates' cars, DJ Meadow, and I was standing at the back of the car just having a look, uh, running KPC chassis, and I was getting some ideas and seeing what those sort of different bolt-on parts they had, and he came up and started talking to me, and uh, we hung out that night. Um, at the end of the night, we sort of put two and two together. You know, he, he worked out, you know, that I'd run the classic with Tim, and he'd heard, heard, heard all about that and the donuts that Tim did that year. Um, we kept in touch for, from, from that point on for probably the next 18 months until uh, Carson came over here with another team in Australia and uh, moved to somewhere to stay for a period of time. And, um, you know, from that point on, you know, we, the relationship flourished and we become best mates and uh, he's like a son to me. So uh, just never look back from there. You've built up this relationship now. Is he still in that development phase? Um, truthfully, you know, I, I think he's still in the development stage. I've, he, he's done some amazing things, but the guy is so driven and, and he's driven to be a World of Outlaws champion. Um, he's just completed his rookie year. I think probably, possibly, if you look at the statistics, the second most um, second most successful rookie year of anyone in the world of Outlaws. I think maybe Brad Sweet beat him on, on wins in his rookie year. But the guy, he's still he's still developing as a driver, and I think there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot that Carson's still going to improve in. And, and I, I really do believe the next two years is really exciting for him. And um, I think anyone that went to the races this year seen a massive improvement in him. And I think you're only going to see that for another couple of years. Um, yeah, I, I think looking out. Sean, what's he like to work with? Does, does he set any particular or particular demands or instructions? You know what he wants is the, the camaraderie. Just explain that a little bit because... You know, Americans do want things done in a particular sort of a way, but you guys have obviously clicked. What's he like to work with? No, he's great. He really is. The first is Carson come over and drove for me. Um, I sort of helped out after hot laps or whatever, and I said, what do you think? He's like, yeah, good. And I'm like, okay, like type three, like it looked like this in the turn four. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm like, right, what do you mean you're not sure? He's like, oh, what do you mean, tight? I don't know. Like, I said, well, Carson, like, what do you normally do? Like, what normally happens when you work with Paul Baines in, in America? Well, he said, I, I just get out of the car and I, I go to the stands, I watch a track, I get back in the car, I drive, it's perfect. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. So since that point, he'd never actually worked with someone that would, you know, not, not that no one wanted to work with him and talk to him about what to do to the car, but 
he, he then took an interest in, because I was involving him more and more in the setup, that what I was doing and telling him what I was doing, he became really intrigued with it. So since, since that point, you know, the last four years, he's gotten to know a lot more about setup. He, he, he maintained the 3G car when he raced with Tim Norman and Joe Gertie, um, you know, two years ago. He, he's done all the maintenance on that car each week during the week. And um, he's become much, much better, um, has a much more better understanding of it, knows sort of what he wants. Um, but, you know, we still have our days, and I just say, hey, you just, you just get in the car and drive. I'm not even telling you what I'm putting in it. You just, you're overthinking it. But, uh, no, he's cool. We, 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 have, a, we have an absolute blast. Uh, just, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Now, away from the track, you're involved in, in business operations. What, what line of work are you in? So we're in um, heavy mining. Um, is our main group of companies. Uh, started Complete Parts and Equipment Solutions eight years ago um, with a $10,000 credit card, and um, it's grown substantially since then. Uh, we're, on a, we're on a seven acre, sorry, eight acre block here, you know, located in the Hunter Valley in the, in the heart of the mining industry, um, selling internationally and, and nationally um, of equipment parts um, and you know, a, a service provider to, to the mining industries. Um, we started Empire Machinery two years ago. It's an equipment rental business, and uh, you know, just over, just under twelve months ago, we started a farming company, um, which we now uh, produce our own um, hay and silage and and uh, fat and cattle. You had a driver here uh, for the classic in Kyle Larson. Now, he's been likened to me as the AJ Foyt of our time. What was he, what was he like to deal with and? What did he bring to your team that you hadn't seen before in a driver? Yeah, Cole's, Cole's, um, I met Cole last year, you know, two years ago. Um, we sat down and started speaking about Carson and what that deal looked like for the world of outlaws the following year. And then I got to spend some time with him last year at Las Vegas um, for, for the outlaw races there. And sort of just, he was cool. He was a really good guy. And just sort of, you know, when you first get to meet someone, they're really quiet and, and whatnot, and when he came over here this year, I, I sort of said to Kyle, "I said he's really quiet." Like I thought it was just because I'd met him prior that he was just quiet. But Kyle is a really quiet and humble. I'm going to call him a kid. He's not a kid, and you'd hate probably to be called a kid. But he is such a little, like such a kid. He, he's he uh, he's very mature, but he doesn't take himself serious. He's just another kid that's out there driving a race car that's just living living the dream and um, very quiet, very, very relaxed. Um, you know, we'd be sitting in staging. There was nothing for him to pass out in staging. Avalon was the first time we raced with him and Cole was passed out in staging, like trying to push him out to the racetrack. Like he just, he's that relaxed. He's that quiet. Um, tremendous guy, really is. And, uh, yeah, you just never know what, what you get yourself into, but he, he was uh, he was amazing. You are in a, uh, a position where you're not running a car in the uh, national championship this weekend, so perhaps you're in the best position to uh, run your eye over the uh, form guide. Yeah, it's a, t- it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, you know, Tasmania always brings out, um, you know, I think it's, there's, there's, there's no, it's not a real local track for many of the top top guys, really, is it? Um, if I had to sit back and you know, you, you, it's hard to go past Jamie or James. Um, but I tell you, a young kid that I really think is going to be good down there, and I think he's got a massive future. I think he's going to be our next 
big thing is that young Jock Goodyear. And and I think he's a really good young kid. I, I haven't had a lot to do with him, but the little things I have spoken to him, he's, he's a really good young little kid. And and um, I think it's exciting times ahead for him. I really do. I think James and Jamie probably look out in a few years' time. Um, they're going to have their work cut out for him with, with him. Sean, uh, i got to uh, echo your sentiments there. I, I saw Jock Goodyear uh, on January 14 at uh, David Landers Lismore Speedway for round 10 of World Series sprint cars. And, you know, at Lismore, it's a very small ballroom circuit, Lismore Showground. He turned on a quite a show. Very, very impressive. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, um, you're right. I, I think he's got a great future. And, of course, uh, doing the national circuit with World Series sprint cars, that, that's obviously a, a good thing and, and, and a very important part of his upbringing in sprint car racing, Sean. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and and it's exciting that we've got these young kids coming through the sport. Um, you know, I, I think you know, James and Jamie, you know, they've uh, they've done a lot for our sport and part of the ways for, for more young kids to come through and, and go to America and do the things that, you know, other other people probably haven't had the opportunity to do. And um, I think with the Goodyear family, it, it, it would seem they've got the funding to be able to do that. And I do, I do, uh, I think there's a big future for Job Goodyear. Speaking of going to America, I know you're a busy man. Was like you said with your with your businesses and all the rest of it. But but do you ever plan into the future because of the success you've had out here and, and the standard of race equipment that you put on the track? Are, are doing some kind of a major campaign with your race team in the United States? Um, right now, no. I think I, you know, I um, I really like being a part of the Kyle Larson racing team. Um, it gives you you know, the little bit of ownership when you're there that gives you the enjoyment of, um, you know, they treat you like it's your own. And then at the same point, you know, when you're busy at work, you don't have the stresses of trying to run a race team, you know, they, they, they do, obviously, we don't really have anything to do with the day-to-day racing business, which is great. Um, you know, I, I really like the All-Star Circuit of Champions. I think, um, you know, I'm always going to be a supporter of Carson Macedo. That 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 goes out there. So whilst ever Carson's in Cole's car, um, you know, we, we probably wouldn't do anything like that. But, you know, you never know if we were to do something and Carson was, you know, in the world of outlaws with Cole, we may look at something in into the future, you know, years down the track that maybe we'd do an all-star circuit champions um, team, something like that, um, for a development driver. Because um, I really like that, that, that deal. I went over and did a higher speed with Carson. Uh, not last year, the year before, and uh, I had an absolute blast. Well, you've got a fair few trophies already in this uh, Speedway season, and when Carson gets back from that Florida swing, um, I'm sure you're going to be looking to uh, get into Victory Lane a few more times before the end of uh, the 2020 summer. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's, uh, we'll go down there and see if we can't get that A1 on the back of that picture. Thanks very much to uh, Sean Dyson joining us here on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. Well, it is a huge show, Dennis, but all eyes now have to turn to the national title, the sprint cars down there at La Trobe. Oh, yes. Uh, This is, you know, such an important event on the Australian sprint car calendar, most definitely. Uh, it's interesting this year um, because of the fact that it is in Tasmania at Latrobe, 
And I guess it's a great opportunity for some of the locals, like Jock Goodyear, for example, who has been having a great season on the World Series Sprint Cars Championship trail, and and other you know other stars like Sean Dobson, Adrian Redpath, Jason Redpath, um, the, the locals, the several locals involved, Mark House, all of these guys, all of them, um, and of course former Tasmanian resident. David Murcott is a two-time national champion. So Victoria, very prominent in the in the running for this Australian title. Now, you mentioned earlier about uh, the classic as opposed to the Australian title. Now, this is, this is a, a subject that over the years has been discussed so many times. Uh, should the Australian title be uh, open to American participants? It was going right back in time. In the era when super modifieds were the were the mode of uh, race car in in the day before the evolution of sprint cars, and even in the early years, the sprint car race Americans were included in the Australian title. Then, of course, the Sprint Car Control Council of Australia had a shutout, and it was really only Australia that they still allow New Zealanders, but they won't allow Americans. Personally, if you ask me what my feelings on it are, I believe Americans should be allowed to run into the Australian title. Mm. Now, a lot of people don't agree with it. I know that. I say American comes out here, wins number one. We never see number one on the title. But then again, a lot of Australians who, who win the Australian title do spend a bit of time in America as well. So it works both ways. But I think as an international event, it should be, okay, the Australians, the street cars and the late models, their national titles allow Americans. So why don't the Sprint cars, the actors, the sprint car control council of Australia. I know they got their reasons, and everything is suspected here. Not criticising them, but I just think a lot of Australian drivers or Australian race fans, I should say, would like to see Americans in the Australian title. Mm. And I should have brought this up at the head of the show, but I will do it now just before we say goodbye, Dennis. Uh, congratulations to Michael Pickens, who's picked up the New Zealand speed car, or they call them midgets over there, title. Caden Brown had it shot to pieces and then had an engine drama very late in the piece which saw him have to withdraw. Yeah, just before you go and we wrap up the show, yes, Caden Brown, what an effort the last couple of weeks. I mean, he has raced virtually the most travelled driver in Australian speaker racing, the Chili Bowl the previous weekend, then back back to uh, New Zealand to race last weekend and just had the race shot pieces. Um, mixed reactions from the Brown Racing team, of course, but no, I think for the balance, there's no doubt about it. Mm. Well, he's backing up this weekend at the Barry Butterworth Classic. He ran midweek too, um, and uh, we hope he can get uh, at least the Classic and bring some silverware back home to Australia before the New Zealanders come across the ditch. Yep, absolutely right, and I'm sure he will. Uh, he's a mentor talent already in Australia and the former Australian champion. You'll win more of those going into the future. Mm. That's for sure, Craig. Well, Dennis, it's another huge week on the show. Look forward to speaking to you next week here on Inside Speedway. Thanks very much, Craig. Always delighted to be on the program. Tune in next week for more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, 
on sale now.